You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 22nd of April. I've got a great show lined up for today. I am especially, I've been looking forward to talking about this for quite a while, so I'm glad that it's all over and we can shoot the breeze about it. And some fantastic comic books to talk about in the what we're reading as well. Before we get that to that though, did you put away all your toys or are you going to be playing with them while we're doing the show? Well, I gotta do something while you're talking. Dude, I know you're gonna be so like engrossed with your little action figures, your toys, your dolls, all your little Game of Thrones scenes and everything. I you're not gonna be listening to a word I say, even less so than normal. I was about to say that's that's not that unusual. So you this is the first loot crate that you get, right? Not to freely yeah. promote loot crate, but there you have it. Yeah, last month's was so cool looking. I, I definitely That's had the to Attack on Titan stuff though. Wasn't mm-hmm. it last month? Yeah. Oh, I would have killed for that one. Yeah, I know. And it was like it, they had already sold out by the time I found out about it. Yeah. It, what's funny is that you sent me that link and I checked it out. And my initial thought was I'd rather put the money towards, say, an MMO, mm-hmm. a sub-based MMO, and, and do that because my son and I play several different ones. So I thought, oh, I'd rather do that than buy it. And then I was thinking about it a little bit more. And then, of course, I saw the unpacking videos, which never do that. If you're on the <laughs> fence about something, never watch unpacking videos because there, there you go. And because uh, they make it too easy to order online. So I saw the unpacking of the Attack on Titan one, and I was like, oh, my God. And I thought, okay, you know what? For a few months, what's the big deal? I'll do it. I go to set up the thing. And I don't know if you read my tweets on this. Yeah, at the I saw. Time. It's like twice as much for Canada, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I can appreciate that the shipping would be a little bit more, but not that much. And our Canadian to U.S. dollars are pretty damn close. So there's just no reason for that whatsoever. So it's like 30 bucks per month for a loot craze of toys. Yeah. Uh, no, forget 15 it. 15 makes sense. 30 is really stretching it. Yeah. 15, it's a, hey, this will be fun. Just so you know. Yeah. You especially t-shirt if, every now and then. I mean, yeah, it pays it, for itself. Especially if you don't actually keep up with what it's going to be. You know, if it's just a surprise, you, you're going to get a box surprise every month. It'll be freaking awesome. I'm, I'm all for that. But then for 30 bucks, no, not going to happen. <laughs> forget about it. So anyway, so the other thing that I wanted to ask, because I saw it on your your Twitter too, you seem to have a problem with someone. Of course, I went through his Twitter feed and I couldn't find anything. So I don't know what the hell you're talking about. What's your problem with Jim Lee? My problem isn't just with Jim Lee. And uh, I'm going to try my best, but you may need a few duck quacks and bicycle horns in this I got them ready. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Last week we talked about the whole, uh, you know, Brett Booth thing and how it, it, made both of us a little uncomfortable with DC. And a lot of people, let's be yeah. honest. It's, well, yeah, it's actually specifically gotten, I'm talking about the two of us. Yeah, that. yeah. No, I'm just saying that since then, too, I've been reading a lot more people who've been quite upset about it. I've actually made the mistake of checking some more of his tweets, oh, <laughs> Brett Booth, which was a mistake, bastard. because he still doesn't get it. <laughs> and he still point blank denies the things that he did. So it's like, okay, anyways, I back to you. 
<laughs> so, like, I mean, I, I, I thought about it some more. And I, on one hand, I can understand wanting to stick up for your friend and colleague because he didn't even draw the cover in question. I, I can understand wanting to defend you know, someone you're close with. Aside from the fact he was completely wrong because the cover is atrocious for any number of reasons, primarily tits, but there's a number of artistic flaws aside from that. And again, the way he went about it was very, very wrong. And as I kept putting this into perspective and comparing it from what we've seen out of DC for the last several years now, that it really has this boys club fraternity feeling to it. Like it's, you know, all the little artist buddies are banding together and just, you know, doing the same things they were doing 20 years ago. And I've been on the fence about a lot of DC stuff for a while, but, you know, I've been of the opinion that. I'll ignore the 90% crap stuff they put out and try to shine a light on the few good things they are doing. You know, the, the Beyond series, the Justice League 3000, you know, Batman, the few good things they're doing uh, it deserve some credit. Now, stepping away from DC for a minute, are you familiar with uh, the story that's been going around for the past couple weeks about the artist uh, David Coey? No. Okay, I, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce his name, but honestly, I don't give enough of a crap about the guy to learn how to pronounce his name. He's some famous graffiti artist who has a podcast, and apparently uh, last month he told this wonderful story, air quotes, about the time he raped a masseuse. What? Yes, and you know he had a grand time telling the story, and it actually took a little while before this hit more mainstream media outlets because – I guess nobody cares about this guy's crappy podcast. So once it hit the mainstream, you know, obviously he started getting all kinds of feedback about it. And like, first of all, he didn't even see – I'm not even going to get into the details of the story because it is ugh, disgusting. Don't Google it. Trust me. And – at first, he was kind of laughing it off of he didn't see it as any sort of assault behavior. You know, it, it, I don't I don't want to get into it because it's, it's disturbing. And then later on, once you know, he started getting all this negative feedback, he tried to defend it with, oh, it wasn't a true story. I was it was just an artistic interpretation because he's such a provocative artist and pushing the boundaries that apparently supposedly, as he says, telling fake stories about raping people is a good way to express his artistic intent. The guy's a scumbag, okay? Let's just put it that way. Now, he has very little to do with the comic industry. However, as a successful pop culture artist, guess who some of his friends are? I'm going to go with Jim Lee. I'm going to go with Jim Lee as well. So... Monday night, uh, late Monday night, it was, I don't have the exact time stamp, but it was somewhere around like 1, 2 in the morning, West Coast time. So a lot of people didn't see this. The only reason I saw it was because I was really bored at breakfast. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, it was Sunday night. So I was really bored at breakfast Monday morning, and I was scrolling back through my Twitter timeline. And I saw a tweet from Jim Lee wishing his buddy, David Coey, a happy birthday. Now, this tweet is no longer in Jim Lee's timeline. <laughs> He has deleted it after uh, some feedback he himself received from the few people who did read it. No statement, no apology, just hiding the evidence, if you will. Luckily, I have a screenshot. (laughs) So from Jim Lee, happy birthday, David Coey. 
May you never bend to the forces of conformity and continue to reveal art in everything. Oh, my God. Taking that in context. (sighs) Fuck Jim Lee. Oh, my God. Either he's completely ignorant about the situation his good friend is in, or he's an asshole. So. Holy crap. Now, we didn't really cover much of it, but, uh, you know, last year there was that whole uh, thing with Brian Wood with the accusations of sexual harassment. Yeah. The difference between that and this is you didn't see anybody standing up for Brian Wood. You didn't see anybody from Marvel going, no, Brian's a great guy. The most you saw was, I don't want to talk about it. You know, a, a lot of no comments. And then also a lot of his peers spoke up against sexual harassment in the industry without necessarily using Brian's name, but basically decrying what he did without selling out their buddy. And you know what? I can understand that. As personally, as far as I'm concerned, the guy doesn't exist anymore. I stopped reading his comics right after that. And we haven't mentioned it on the podcast after that. The issue here is Jim Lee is the publisher of DC Comics. He's not just some artist. When you see that tweet, if you saw it, it has the official DC Comics Batman 75th anniversary logo right next to it because that's his avatar. So when you have such a high position within a major media company and you're making statements like that, it pushes me over the edge. So as far as I'm concerned, for the foreseeable future on this podcast, DC Comics is dead to me. Until they show that they're making some sort of effort to not be hateful, spiteful, disgusting people to me, I want nothing to do with them. You already know you don't have to convince me. (laughs) That shit like that just bothers me to no end. To no end. Wow. That, yeah, so that's disturbing. So taking his specific statement in context, and if you want, I'll email you the picture. Actually, I would like for you to email me the picture. We'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. He's either, A, one of those people who can separate the artist from the art. You know, all those jerks who still defend Woody Allen movies, despite the fact he's a proven molester himself. Or B, he just you know, is flat out supporting the guy and his artistic visions of uh, raping people. So, Okay, we need to move on. Otherwise, I'm just going to be furious. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, been, I've been steaming over this for the last, God. you know, 36 hours. You, you saw how livid I was about the booth crap. This is above and beyond that. Wow. So, yeah, when you sent me the tweet, we can start early if you want. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Okay. Okay, yeah, so not that anyone cares, but yeah, we're not going to be covering any DC comics for a while. That's bothersome. Very much. Okay, anyways, let's move on to what we are talking about. Yeah, let's, let's talk let's, about happy things. Uh, yeah, try to cheer this up a bit. Wow. What we're going to be covering is actually something that I've been wanting to cover ever since it, uh, it first started, and uh, that's the X-Files conspiracy little event that occurred from, from IDW. Now... I've said before that, like, in the day, we loved watching The X-Files for the first few seasons. Well, I know a few people, actually, who went crazy about it. But the first few seasons were absolutely phenomenal. By the time freaking T-1000 or whatever he is joined the crew there, (laughs) it kind of lost some. But 
initially, those first, hell, even, what, four or five seasons were really, really quite good. And we, again, loved them, watched them religiously, and some of the comics have been quite good. I've enjoyed them. I haven't read them all. I've read some that were not nearly as good and some that were, um, you know, quite quite good. Same as with the Star Trek stuff that we've talked about. Some are not that good, but some, man, really hit the mark and they're good. Now, this one here, it's actually not so much with Mulder, Mulder and uh, Scully, but actually with the Lone Gunman. Now, if you're not familiar with the X-Files, which some of the people who are younger listening might not be, you had, of course, Mulder and Dana Scully, who were um, FBI agents who investigated the paranormal cases that came along. And the Lone Gunman was a group of three guys. And these three guys, uh, it was uh, John Byer, Melvin Frohickey, and Richard Langley. The three guys published a underground conspiracy newsletter kind of thing. And they had their hands in everything. Mulder often went to them whenever there was something he couldn't explain or he needed to get some further information or get the word out kind of thing. And they're just these dorky friggin' guys and the acting of the guys were actually quite good. They were always fun to see on screen. This little event actually centered around those three guys. So I thought, well, that might be fun to read. And what it is, is that you have, it starts off in conspiracy, number one. It's the conspiracy is actually only a two-part miniseries. However, there's tie-ins. There's, of all things, and, and they went all out here. Like You know <laughs> that whoever came up with this idea was thinking, oh, we're going to have fun here. Because the tie-ins are with the Ghostbusters series, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, and The Crow. So... You have the first issue of Conspiracy that then leads into these and then ends with the second part of Conspiracy. And I you actually pretty- really like the concept here because oh, IDW yeah. has done these crossovers before with uh, their two infestation events. And they weren't handled quite as delicately. It was basically just, oh, interdimensional aliens and smashing everything together. But the way they did this, you know, again, taking the lone gunman and the way they set up the world that these you know four five different franchises do exist in the same world and using the positives of what they have of the ninja turtles are obviously trying to stay underground the transformers are built around you know disguise the crow is you know the crow i i had to stretch believability a little bit in the fact that you know, the state puff marshmallow man exploding yeah. over Times Square didn't hit major news sources. But still, the concept of them investigating these supposedly hidden you know, comics franchises was actually pretty cool. Well, it's the device in the way in which it all comes about as well, too. The the encrypted uh, message that he received. So Langley receives an encrypted message that he has no idea what it is, but it was sent from someone, an email address within CERN. Now CERN is of course the, the big complex organization thing in Switzerland that is investigating the Higgs boson and stuff like that, the particle. So what they do is they explain how it's possible to send, and this is in comic book world, of course, how it'd be possible to send a message back through time through this fifth dimension using um, different things. We'll get into that in a bit to send a message back in time kind of thing. And so he receives this, this email that has encrypted files. And from there, 
it, it takes a, a long time for them to decrypt them. And so you have this this slow progression of news items coming to them. And it's these news items are from the future that explain how there's a virus that has been set free that's killing millions of people. And so from there, they have to try to figure out what it is, what's causing it, and how to go about finding a, a cure for it. And this is where you then intro Mulder and Scully, who are actually at the location of the first article that is decrypted and the people are being killed there there's this unknown virus that's causing these metal spikes to burst through them and kill them and so you have this first issue where the first again article is decrypted and it shows just that so you have that believability of okay so whatever these things are that they're getting from the future it's authentic and we need to work around that because Again, this virus is going to kill a lot of people. Again, as a device for moving the series forward, it was fantastic. It was really quite good and really it, it ends every issue nicely because it's leading you right into the next one that you have to read. Yeah, I again, I really admired the, stru- the way they structured this. Yeah. So in the first one, you also, and this is only important because it's it ties in later on, you, you see how... Um, the, the lone gunmen, after they've spoken to to Mulder about this, and he's saying, okay, keep looking into this, they are attacked by some agents, and you don't know what the agents are, but the agents are trying to kill them. And then there's this big race on the highways, and there's some cops that get involved, and the cops wind up getting killed from the agents, just ridden off the road. So that's how you know, okay, they're not really probably government agents kind of thing. And that ties in later. And it's, it, I like that aspect as well, how, I mean, they weren't all written by the same writers. Case in point, the Conspiracy series was written by Paul Criley, whereas the Ghostbusters one, Eric Burnham, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ed Brisson, uh, Conspiracy Transformers also by Criley, and then The Crow by uh, Denton J. Tipton. So you had different writers, and I felt that they actually collaborated very well. I mean, how many Marvel events have we seen or DC events <laughs> All of where they're, the collaboration's out the window? They're, they're given maybe a few post-it notes saying, make sure to include this and this, and then that's it. Whereas this, it tied in very well. <laughs> Although they did screw up with the, the gender, the, or not the gender, well, maybe even the gender, it's hard to tell, really. The race of one of the cops in the first yeah, issue. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> it's like she's black in one, and then she's Caucasian in the next. And really, that first one, the art was so bad, it's hard to tell it's a woman, let's and be very the honest. The art was a little rough in a lot of these. The art was rough in damn near all of them. I hate to say that because I don't want people not to read this i think you should be reading this but the art was in some cases downright atrocious and i'm sorry the art from john staniski um colors by stephen downer that was for conspiracy one and two who the characters don't even look the same panel to panel no <laughs> and i know that they're trying to make them look very much like the actual people the actual actors but what ends up happening is that you have, you know, David Duchovny panel one does not look like David Duchovny panel two right it looks beside like it. Like, yeah, so the art in some of these, but in some of them was actually quite good. Like the art for the Turtles one, uh, Michael Walsh and inks by Adam Gorham and colors by Stephen Downer again. That looks good. It looked typical 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff. Nothing fancy, but it looked like it. And then the, a little simplistic, but that actually gave it some really good effects yeah. at certain points. Yeah. And then the art for the Transformers one, though, that didn't even have inks. It had pencils by um, what is that? Diraj Verma with colors by Joanna Lafuente. That one looked amazing. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked that one a lot. Like it was very impressive. And then the crow one, we're back to you. Eh, not not that big a deal. Um, but again, don't let that hold you back, people. Uh, definitely check it out anyways, because I think that it's actually, it, it's well worth the read. So towards the end of the first issue, then they find out, okay, now we got to go and talk to these Ghostbusters. <laughs> and so they go to Ghostbusters HQ to investigate. Each of the issues had something that tied it into the the event, we'll call it. But they also had just some some fun, something that's going on as if you're just, this is just a slice of what's going on in the regular continuity as well kind of thing. And I really and dug that. Small oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing to say is, I, I haven't been reading X-Files, obviously, but the only one of these that's actually in continuity with the core comics is Ninja Turtles. Right. So a small, uh, yeah, but uh, okay. Well, it, it felt like there was something I should say. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it gives you the feel, but if you're like, if you're a fan of the ongoings, uh, outside of Ninja Turtles, this really doesn't, uh, have the same, right. Same, uh, effect. So it's in the Ghostbusters one where they have a discussion with one of the Ghostbusters uh, specifically about what's going on with the Higgs discoveries and whatnot. And one of them says that he's, he's written a 500 page piece on it (laughs) and it's the Higgs singlet and the use of supernatural entities as a means of directional time travel. And what this is, is they're finding out that again, going back to how was this message sent back? If they use a ghost of some sort, they could use that as a conduit that could then go through that fifth dimension that the Higgs boson particle goes through in order to send that message back in time. So there's the little clue that you get from that issue there. And then that leads into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, which has both the blown gunmen as well as the turtles going against vampires, which I thought was awesome. (laughs) Foot fetishist vampires. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and that's where they are trying to get a sample of the turtles' bloods. They initially think that the turtles are alien, so they want to get a sample of the blood to then use as a potential um, antivirus to for that virus that's going along. Because they don't know how it's being transmitted, but they assume that it is alien in nature. And that's when they find out from... I can't remember which turtle told them, though, but it's like they're not aliens, they're mutants. But they still wind up getting a blood sample from them anyways. And there's your clue for that one as well, which then leads into the Transformers one. In the Transformers one, you find out a little bit more. You get um, you get the, the lone gunman working with Bumblebee and Optimus, which, dude, the stuff with Bumblebee and Langley, <laughs> those two were meant to be together. We need another Normally, little mini I hate Bumblebee and every incarnation, cartoons, movies, comics, can't stand the guy. He was all right here. He was all right. He was fun. 
It was fun. <laughs> they were having fun together. <laughs> what they found out initially at the very start in Conspiracy Number 1 is this has to do with a company called Skylogic Systems, which they can find nothing out about at all, period. So here they use the the Transformers to gather more information and they find somebody who works for them and they basically abduct him to question him. And he explains that they were approached by the government who gave them concrete proof that there are aliens on the planet, hence the Transformers, and that they need to work on a vaccine type of thing because they're told that the Transformers are trying to create an alien-human hybrid. So they are the ones that released that virus in that first apartment where so many people died, but they thought they were doing it to protect the people. That's obviously not what was happening. So again, there's your clue for that issue, which, which then leads into the crow. The crow is, the crow is one that I, you know, you could, you could kind of skip, but it gives you a lot of information for, the second conspiracy yeah. issue. So it is still kind of important. It's almost entirely the conversation between the two cops who are at the scene initially who get killed in the car crash. But you find out a little bit more about how they die. She dies from the car crash and you find out later that she, well, you find out initially she was leaving her husband to be with him. They were having the ongoing affair. And then you find out also that she was pregnant. The cop actually, or sorry, I should say the male cop actually gets killed by one of the agents who, after the car crash, goes and pops him in the head. And because of that, and because of, you know, finding out about this woman that he loved and all that, he remains as a ghost. And you have the crow who is giving him information, helping him to gather clues and to get his vengeance on these agents. So again, this is one of those... It's important because of how it contributes to the event as a whole. The issue in and of itself was kind of not nearly as exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, it, like you said, it took a lot of time away from the core storyline to do its own thing, which is important yeah. overall. But I, the, the, the thing that made this crossover so fun and interesting was the lone gunman and their interactions with all, with all the various things. So having an issue where you take them out while necessary – kind of loses some appeal. Yeah. Well, it basically kind of grounded to a halt almost. And so it's, again, it's, it's important to read it, but it's just bear that in mind when in fact you are reading it. And so from here now you are led into conspiracy number two, and that's where the lone gunmen are at the center for disease control. They meet up with Scully and they give her the two blood samples, the one half reptile, half human from the turtles and the one alien. I don't know how they get, what is it? Oil? <laughs> Motor oil? Yeah, that they, 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 they call it blood and they never say, you know, exactly what, you know, it's, it's it, transmission fluid. <laughs> this is where I could nerd out and start, you know, but yeah, it's, it's robot blood. You really need to suspend disbelief as if you have not yet. <laughs> they dismantle a bomb by putting it in, in airplane mode and then stopping a time. That was hilarious. I don't care. It was, it was funny, but again, you really needed to <laughs> suspend all disbelief. Still, they find out about that there's the bomb there because they got the last file decrypted and the file says there's a, a bomb goes off at the CDC, impedes the progress of the, the cure being manufactured, the virus spreads, millions die, yada, yada. Meanwhile, Mulder is... 
in a warehouse in the middle of nowhere, which is typical for X-Files. And he finds out what in fact is happening. And there is an alien there who is wanting to destroy the human race. And so typical, really X-Files stuff, but it all came together nicely. It all meshed together nicely right to the point at the end where you see what actually happens in the future of them sending the message back in time. And that's how it ties everything, including the ghost and using that at the CERN in order to send the message back. So as an event that not just works together exceptionally well, tying in together all of the different IPs, but also actually making sense, so long as you're willing to suspend that disbelief to have some fun with it, it actually makes sense. It works. I, again, I can't say enough about this little event. I loved it. Let's be honest, this is far less ridiculous than some of the other Boy. comic book stuff we've gone along with over the years. Yeah. The only problem, as we've said, was the art. And that's a big one. It really is. But luckily, this is the type of story that it's all right. I mean, you're looking, you know, the lone gunmen do not have to be drawn exceptionally well for me to, to go into this story and enjoy it. It's probably best that they're not really that detailed. <laughs> so for the most part, it, it's all right. The, the only problem is, is that when you read and see that Transformers issue, you can see what the event could have been as a whole, which is absolutely gorgeous. So it is something that held it back, but I'm hoping that it won't stop people from buying it. Yeah, I'm actually uh, glad that we checked this one out because I would have completely skipped over. Because like I said, I I read a couple issues of their infestation crossover and it wasn't doing it for me. And I completely skipped the second infestation. So it's nice to know they could get one of these crossovers, right? Yeah. Okay. Moving on, before we get into the what we're reading, did you watch the third trailer for the uh, Days of Future Past? I did. It was actually really good. It well, was- listen. <laughs> you can set pretty much anything to a remix of Cashmere and I'll probably go see it. <laughs> Listen, you liked all the other trailers. I was not actually I, I, as crazy about them. I didn't like the first one. I liked aspects of the first one. I liked the audio. Right. The first one. <laughs> Second one had me had me a little more confident. But what really draws me in here, again, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> but also from what we see of the action, like, come on, Colossus diving out of the sky through portals, Iceman being awesome, Magneto using a football stadium as a weapon. Yeah, this is something I can get into. Yeah, it was it was really quite good. And you're seeing a lot more of the interactions between Wolverine, who's sent back, and young Xavier. So, and, and with Beast, which I thought was hysterical. <laughs> so, yeah, it was actually really quite good. I... It, it does make me a lot more excited. Are you going to see this opening weekend? Uh, possibly. We shall see. We might Although have man. to do an impromptu Popcorn Ronin on this yeah. one as soon as it comes out. They really didn't take very long to get me to hate Quicksilver. Oh, yeah. That's just why was that in there? See, oh. his mutant power isn't the speed. His mutant power is being an insufferable jackass. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. you were talking to Dan about that on Twitter. <laughs> and I was telling him, all you need to remember, it doesn't matter what version there is of him in the Marvel <laughs> Universe, he's a jackass. He's an good, asshole, that's it. Good luck trying to explain to somebody who doesn't read comics why there's two different Quicksilvers in the movies. Uh, yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh, no, not him. I hate him in every comic I've ever read. I, I know you've read some that it wasn't as bad. I... 
despise the character. Yeah, unless Peter David's writing the movie, I'm not terribly interested. Okay, let's move on to what we're reading. Um, Superior Spider-Man number 31. Yeah, that came out. Are we doing a point one here? How much you got to say about this? I don't know. How much do you have to say about it? I got it? quite let's, a bit to say let, about let's this. Let's go with it and see where we end up. <laughs> okay, so this might be a point one for folks to listen to. I'm, in fact, I'm almost positive it probably will be. Okay, uh, let's move on to Wolvie and his peeps. Have you been keeping up with that? No, issue two was the last I read. Yeah, see, I actually decided, okay, well, I'll, I'll read three and see what's going on. Three was actually substantially better. And part of that is because we're getting a lot more with the adults, like with Aurora and with Wolverine. But we're still getting the stupidity with Quentin Choir. Well, I say stupidity only because I'm not a fan. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and you're seeing different scenes being played out in his mind kind of thing, which they weren't bad, but the, the school as a whole was better. The students, even though they weren't in there that long, at least what was there wasn't about them being snotty. And then you're getting the events of of what is going on with them and whatnot, because they're trying to put a stop to apocalypse. I like that. It's starting to play out a lot more with apocalypse now. So we've Mm -hmm. been kind of waiting for that basically all through, the, the, the original Wolvina's Peeps, we were waiting for that other shoe to drop with the Kid Apocalypse. So now we're seeing a lot more with where they're coming, trying to take him out while he's still a kid kind of thing. And you're having the school banding together to try to, to stop them. So actually three was quite a bit better than one and two. Hmm. So um, did you read that Hulk number one? It looked interesting, but I haven't checked it out. It actually was pretty damn good. It's it's I, I don't want to say phenomenal, but it was it was actually really interesting. It was written by Mark Wade, um, pencils by Mark Bagley. The the art was I mean standard fare. Um, it was all right, but uh, nothing spectacular. But it was it was all right. But anyways, the the story was interesting because you have this story where they're trying to they're trying to put an implant in the Hulk's brain so that they can trigger him and control him when they want. But of course the problem that is... That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, of course. That's not going to go bad. The problem is is that you can't hurt Bruce without the Hulk immediately being triggered. So Mariah Hill works on training so that she can basically snipe the back of his head so that he doesn't have time. The premise is ludicrous. So he won't have time to change into it. So it, that has happened, and they bring in a doctor who's going to perform surgery on him <laughs> delicately. <laughs> and then from there, he's told that he's going to put this implant in, and it goes to crap, of course. And then you have the Hulk b- bouncing out of there, breaking out, killing several people along the way. Well, he sends them flying. I'm going to assume they're dead. And then the. The Hulk has never killed an animal. This is true. But I mean. That that backhand there for the doctors, uh, that couldn't have felt good. The Hulk has never killed an ass. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so we get Coulson and Hill who find him later, who's in this clinic, his head all bandaged up, and they're saying, okay, well, you thank God you found him. That's You might not realize one of the smartest men on the planet. And they're like, not anymore. His brain was hanging out the back of his brain band. He's not. <laughs> and you have... You have Bruce had a chalkboard at a board with a crayon writing ABC. 
and they're saying he's got permanent brain damage. So it's like, okay, you got me. I want to see where this is going to go from now on. We saw that uh, with Indestructible Hulk, where the first few issues, the, you know, the setup that Wade did there was some cool stuff. Just for me, it kind of lost steam over time. So now that, again, that's a really cool setup for a first issue. Though. Yeah, it is. You've been keeping up with Uncanny X-Men? Yes. It's been, it's been solid. It, it has not been bad. It's been good. Some of it has been good. Again, Cyclops is far from my favorite character. So and he just kind of gets on my nerve. A little too emo and pretentious, and that combination doesn't work well. But I loved his interactions with uh, with Hill on the carrier. <laughs> Maria Hill has been the best character in this comic, like for the last twenty issues. She's fantastic, especially when they go and they read her mind and they're reading off some of her thoughts. <laughs> and I actually have been really liking the stuff with Mystique on mm-hmm. in Madripoor and what's going on there with her and trying to get Magneto in and whatnot and her acting as Dazzler and then the young team what's hilarious is seeing all the fanboys who freaked the heck out in issue 18 or 19 or whatever it was because the blob showed up with his powers back right and Bendis didn't explain it and like that's that is the worst sin a comic writer can perform is doing something the fans didn't expect and not immediately explaining it obviously you know he had it set up for you know, one or two issues later that it was going to be explained. I just love fanboy rage sometimes. Oh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, I love the stuff with the, uh, his team as well. Like we've gotten to know both of the oh, I love younger member for both him and, and Wolverine his people. So we've gotten to know them a lot more over time. And I really, I, Gold Balls is awesome. And I love that they're bringing in the, the stuff like you see in Archer, the TV series, that wording, you know, are we playing the wording game? Raising. Yeah. <laughs> so that has been cool. And uh, and so, yeah, no, it's actually been, it's been solid. It's been solid and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And, and which then leads to the Wolverine series. You're still reading that? I actually got caught up on it because I'd fallen behind and I thought, okay, well, it'll get better. Okay, first of all, the issue with him and an auto Spider-Man was freaking awesome. It was. And it explains how he gets the new suit that helps him because he doesn't have his healing factor. So that was actually really good. I liked it. And then, again, we're seeing him and Mariah Hill later on and him and and everyone. And you're finding out in four. I'm assuming then that you're not reading this at all. No. So in, what is it? I think it's four. You're getting finally the story of what is going on. Because up until then it doesn't make sense for the character. He's acting like a coward. He is pushing people away and all this other really emo, stupid crap. And so you're finding out that, okay, well, there's a reason for that. He's actually distancing himself because he's on a mission with shield in order to work his way into this criminal organization. So that's why he brushed off everybody before so that he can go in there. It, it, it kind of, you know, it makes sense, but it doesn't. One of those kind of things where, okay, I can see how that fits in with the story, but it doesn't, the character wouldn't do something like that. So mm-hmm. for that, it doesn't fit at all. But it leads to some interesting character scenes, like with him and Kitty, that were actually fairly solid and fun to read. So I, as a series, I, I certainly would not recommend it. And now that I know why, the why's of his behavior. It'll make sense when reading the other series, but I'm probably going to be putting this one on hold now and not bothering with it anymore. Okay. So, okay. What do you got? All right. Well, for my list, 
Flash, no Detective Comics, no Batman Eternal, Batman Beyond. All right, well, all I've got left is Invincible. Did you read issue 110? No, I haven't yet. Okay. I'm actually going to spoil some of it because it, it's it's an interesting discussion, let's just say. Um, with uh, Mark back home, the most of the issue was him and Eve and really good stuff there. Like I really liked what, uh, what their, what, how their relationship has changed with uh, Mark being gone again. And the tail third of the issue or so, uh, the Viltrumite woman that really wants to mate with Mark. Yeah. Well, she, uh, basically beats the crap out of him and then forces him to have sex with her. What is going on lately with this? <sighs> Seriously. <laughs> what the crap, people? Now, I'm not 100% against it at this point because basically the comic just ends with Mark sitting there crying. So the way it it's going to have to be a very delicate hand, which I don't know if Kirkman possesses. But it could lead to some interesting discussions about how these things are portrayed in comics, specifically because this is the first time I know of that it's happened to a male yeah. character. Yeah. So it's it's not as instantly red light as any number of other comics we've read. <laughs> but uh, it's it's all going to be in how it's going to be handled from exactly. here on, on. That's going to determine. Yeah. 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 So it it could turn out to be you know a a net positive for storytelling in the industry, but again, I don't know if Kirkman is capable of being that delicate with a story. Because well, over the last hundred and ten issues, delicate Kirkman and Invincible really don't go together. <laughs> True, but just judging by what you're saying of how it ended, that alone there shows a lot of maturity in how it's being handled. Exactly. So and if it progresses like that, then yeah, it could bring to light something that a lot of people dismiss. It's just the timing of it all. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> With seriously? everything else that's gone on in the last couple weeks, <laughs> both in comics and outside of comics, it's like, it, it, oh, man. <laughs> I agree. I'm going to read My Little Pony next week. And that's <laughs> really? <it>. That's <laughs> and if you know what? If My Little Pony goes there, I quit. That's it. <laughs> I turn off the internet. That's it. <laughs> Drop a mic, walk away. All right. So that's all you've got? That, that, that's all I have that I'm willing to talk about. Fair enough. Okay. New releases for the week on the Marvel side. We've got Electra number one, which again... I uh, don't know much about what's going on there. It's just a number one if you want to check it out. And we have Powers Bureau number nine and Superior Spider-Man team-ups number 12. Now, I'm going to assume that's the last one of that because it's actually the team-up. It's, it's, it's a backflash story about him and Otto. That it actually sounds like it's going to be interesting. I'm going to assume that's going to be the last one. Did you hear? Uh, all I know is I, I believe it's it might be changing the title because they said... Uh, all the other spider stuff is going amazing, but the superior foes are remaining superior, which I love because that, that comic is still so much fun. All right. Uh, skipping the DC stuff, let's move right on into others. We've actually got some really freaking awesome stuff coming up from the others. We've got Mass Effect Foundations number 10 from Dark Horse, and I've been really enjoying the Mass Effect stuff, so... I haven't read the new series yet. Check it out. Um, the issue number three of five for Sherlock Holmes Moriarty, which... Moriarty Lives, I should say, which has been really well written. 24, 
by IDW. That's a number mm-hmm. one issue. So if you like the series, they're putting. How are you going to do that in a comic? I, I don't know. We'll I, see. We'll see. Uh, Seventh Sword, which sounds like it's going to be a very cool samurai story. So that's number one from IDW as well. And then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number thirty-three and Transformers Robots in Disguise number twenty-eight, also both from IDW. IDW is really freaking bringing it this week and then we've got manhattan projects number 20 from image and we've got skull characters number 26 from image as well which yes always awesome and with that we're going to cut out make sure to check out the show notes at comic book informer you can also find us on twitter at cb informer and we are going to release that all of the information there for spider-man what our thoughts were on the closing out for that as a separate point one make sure to check that out it'll all be in the show notes and with that we'll talk to you guys next week 